Welcome to another podcast of BibleTruthOnline.com. We are continuing our Bible study in Hebrews with Hebrews chapter 9. Um, we're going to go through the first five verses and then backtrack and talk about them, explain them a little bit more. So verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of the divine service and earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all, which has the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Okay, we're going to go over a couple things real quick here. Uh, we're going to go through the Ark of the Covenant, and inside it is manna. Manna is the food that the people ate to survive here on earth. To survive in heaven, they're going to have to partake in the death of Jesus. So Jesus is the manna. In the second part, Aaron's rod that budded, okay, on earth, all those rods were dead. They put them in the Ark of the Covenant, and Aaron's rod budded. So those dead like us, people, are going to come back to life in heaven. That's what that's symbolizing. On earth, we have the tablets that they're talking about. The, the tablets of the covenant are the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the law. Okay, They are represented in heaven by the scrolls in Revelation where only the Lamb can come out and open the scrolls. He's the only one who qualifies to open the scrolls, and that's like a that's what opens up the new heaven and the new earth. And this is just to explain, Hebrews chapter 9 talks about what the earthly tabernacle is. It goes into what that is in heaven. So what, what Pat just explained is the earthly version versus the heavenly version. And then um, it goes on to explain Christ's role in all of this. So just for a little background on, on Hebrews 9 as we go through that. Well, the sanctuary, yeah, the sanctuary and the holiest of all represents heaven. And all these objects that are in the sanctuary, which you have a, uh, your first veil coming through the courtyard. You pass that first veil and you come into the sanctuary. That's where all the Levitical priests go and do their services. Past that part, you get to the second veil, which is the second part he's talking about, which is the holiest of all, where only Aaron's descendants can come into. And the holiest of all, that's holiest of holies. It all depends on which version of the Bible you're reading, but just so you know what that is. Yeah. That's a sacrifice that's done once a year that's, you know, to pay for the sins of the people. The priest has to do the sacrifice for himself, like we talked about in the last chapters. But um, these two sections represent heaven, and these earthly objects are shadows of the real objects in heaven. That's why you heard us earlier talk about where God instructed Moses, make it exactly like this, because what is going to happen here on earth has implications as to what is actually happening in heaven. We uh, can go more in depth with this. Paul doesn't at this point, but there is an interesting book called The Tabernacle of Israel, written by Jane Strong, uh, written in 1890, same author of Strong's Concordance. And he goes into very in-depth drawings and diagrams of what the Tabernacle of Israel looked like. So that's a resource you can consult if you want to get into more in-depth with this. 
But just a, a couple points I had was that uh, Paul is the only one in Hebrews that actually tells you in Scripture the three items that are within the Ark of the Covenant. It's Jewish tradition, as we uh, know, but if you want to look at the Holy Bible, Paul's the only one that tells you those three things are in there. Well, that's assuming that Paul's wrote Hebrews. Right, which, we, which we'll discuss at the end of Hebrews, all the theories on who wrote this and what it is. So the writer of Hebrews of. is the only one who tells you right. what's in there. So I thought it was interesting when you read this, that those three things are within the Ark. Uh, they have Old Testament stories to them. That this is where it comes from. You know, the manna. It's an Old Testament story of where the Hebrews were starving. Um, God tells them that he will provide for them. Dew settles on the ground. That transforms into manna and is able to sustain their life. And one of the points we had, Pat, was you couldn't save the manna. Right? It was a day-by-day -day operation. It was a day-by-day -day operation. So the bread of life, and we're talking about the, the bread of life being Jesus, Jesus being the creator who actually provided the manna for the Hebrews when they were started. And he later, this is a foreshadow, later comes down here and offers himself as a sacrifice, thus being the bread of life, the real bread of life. Aaron's rod that budded, there's a discussion with that. Again, the story going back. There's the 12 rods. Yeah, there's 12 rods. Um, Aaron's is the only one that budded. It was made out of almonds. That was an almond branch that budded out, the only one out of the 12. And then the tablets of the covenant, quick notice, the tablets of the covenant that are with, within the Ark of the Covenant are actually the second set. They're the unbroken second set. The first ones were broken. These are the second set that are unbroken. And there's a whole story behind that, too, because if you go to look at the law, even though it's in the story form that Moses gets mad, they turn around and they break the first set of covenants, I, I think that was supposed to be that way. Mm -hmm. Supposed to say, hey, you know what? All these laws are broken. From the, beginning. the only place that they're going to be unbroken is that scrolls opening up in heaven. The only person that qualifies is the only person who could go through and not break the law. Mm -hmm. Going back, uh, just a couple more points here, the holiest of holies, right? Once a year, the priests go in that. No, the high priest goes in. The high priest, correct. One man. the bells and the ropes on him, right? Yeah, he walks in there with bells on his feet and ropes. If the bells stop ringing, you pull on the rope and pull the dead priest out. And the point being that uh, if you and I walked into the Holiest of Holies, under that Old Testament, we would be struck dead. Right. And the priest, if he doesn't do the law exactly, if he doesn't do this formula exactly, he's a dead man. Mm -hmm. He had to go through all his purifications and all, you know. Yeah. Of course he had sinned, but he had to go through all kinds well, of that's purifications. Well, that's why he had to offer for himself first. Yeah. If you can do this, if you go through this ritual casually. First into the sanctuary, and then you go to the Holy Holies with the blood for the people. Yeah. Another uh, point is the cherubim of glory. What are cherubim? And this is a study that you can go into with uh, studying angels. We know cherubims are a group of angels. They're cherubim that guard the Garden of Eden. The best reference that I have of uh, the cherubim is studying Jewish history, where cherubim are signified as cupid-like baby creatures with wings. 
that sinner need the throne of God. They, the cherubim sing praises to the Lord. And other points is Lucifer was a cherubim. He was a crowning cherubim. He's crowning crowned cherubim, by these. right? Uh, they're not seraphim. Seraphim are different order of angels, okay? And we had to know that one of those can kill, what is it, 180,000 men? 185. 185,000 men. So these are groups of angels, cherubim signifying, guarding of the throne, singing praises to the Lord. That's in Jewish religious studies. Another point we had was the mercy seat that's uh, mentioned here. Um, as far as you look at James Strong and his ideas of where the mercy seat, what it looked like on top of the ark, the priest would actually spray the sacrificial blood on the mercy seat. The significance of that in our story, what we were talking about, why a mercy seat? Well, first, we're the Holy of Holies, and in this mercy seat underneath it, there's nothing, but it's where the Spirit of God is going to come from. Okay, it's a sacrifice on top of this, but the sacrifice... In order for, if the Holy of Holies is the Spirit of God, and you're trying to get to Him, you've got to go through this redemption. But you can't even get to them until you have the blood put on it. Until Jesus comes and dies for you, you can't even get to Him from there. And you can't get to God until you go through Jesus to get to Him. Mm -hmm. It's the same reference as in heaven. Jesus is on the right-hand side of God. Believe me, there's nobody on the left-hand side of God is hell. Because nobody gets to God except through going through Jesus. We'll continue with verse 6. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. First part being the sanctuary. Right. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The second part of the Holy of Holies. Mm -hmm. Verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way to the holiest of holies was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concern only with foods and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances opposed until the time of reformation. Okay, so what's going on here is you have what the earthly services are symbolizing. Because there is no way into that Holy of Holies until Jesus comes and that blood is spilled. Symbolically, one man was let in, the high priest. But he's there to service God to serve for the people as a temporary mediator for between God and the people. But his job is just to go in there and perform the functions so that you know that when Jesus comes, what the job was. He has no special rights. This priest has nothing. Anything he does wrong that doesn't fit with the program, he dies and you got to pull him out by that rope. So these three verses are, are actually very strongly worded taking into context that this book is written to the Hebrews, uh, one of the things I've noticed here is that um, the statement here, which is in verse 9, was symbolic for the present time, in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience. Right there. It's not perfect, okay? 
concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of Reformation. Two points of that verse. That is what the high priest is concerned with. He's concerned with the proper food and drinks and the various, remember they have whole rituals of washings, okay? And fleshly ordinances, physical sacrifice, physical sacrifice and a physical tabernacle, right? He's mm-hmm. concerned with these things and if he doesn't do them, he's struck Right. Down. He has to do these things. And until the time of Reformation, that's an interesting statement because Reformation is the time of reform. And what that's speaking of is Jesus reforming all these, like we said earlier, foreshadows. The new, the new, the new covenant. covenant. Yeah. I mean, actually, those the, it, verses 8, 9, and 10, if I was Jewish at this time reading this, knowing the law and temple sacrifice, I would be almost insulted by that, saying, well, what do you mean? We're not doing it right? This is all, there's a time of reformation that's happened, and now after this time of Reformation, it's no longer correct to do. I mean, it's, it's strongly worded for, this, for the Hebrews. Well, this is the same reason why when we were talking about before, Jesus is not in the line of Aaron. Because anybody in the line of Aaron is never going to be able to perform this. They're all bound up by the law. You have to be a priest of Melchizedek in order to go around this and perform the sacrifice perfectly. Mm-hmm. There's a good point I was brought up a while back when we were talking um, in this first temple, we have the uh, Holy of Holies, we have the, the mercy seat and, and all that. When that's destroyed, they build a second temple. They don't have that Ark of the Covenant. It's not there. Right. Okay. So, God's presence isn't able to come down like it is in the first one. Okay, they're weeping over it because it's not like Solomon's temple. Right. But, Jesus does come at this time of reformation. He is in the temple. Mm-hmm. God is in the temple, mm-hmm. not just in spirit, but physical, but in physical form. Yeah, and they don't see it. Right, they completely miss it. Yeah, but yeah. God is there. I mean, the second temple with the art gone, technically all that is null and void. You don't even have the proper tools to perform the sacrifice properly. And I know James Strong uh, mentioned in his book an interesting theory where the Ark of the Covenant was, and he mentioned Jeremiah took it with him, which isn't a recognized theory, but it's interesting. We've gotten in other papers and discussions about that. Uh, that's always a topic in itself. Yeah. But that's a good point. I mean, later Jesus comes and actually stands in the temple, does things in the temple too, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he dies, that, that last temple veil is torn down. It's torn. It's an earthquake. Yeah, and it's torn. Right. So if, if if God's presence is in there at that point, not anymore. Yeah. Not just torn, but I think the temple breaks in two. Yeah. Well, what's, what's that veils down, though? There's no protection yeah. between the priests of the outside and the priests of the inside. So it's like not only do you not have your ark from the first one, you can't even repatch what just happened on the second one. You, you what means there's no, down. if you look at it, there's no more high priest. Yeah. Because the high priest was the only one that could go in there. Yeah. Now when they perform these temple things, there, there's too much exposure. Verse 11. But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with his hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all. Okay, so the, one, the most holy place, the holy of holies, being symbolic of heaven. He goes back into heaven after his re- resurrection 
taking his physical body back into heaven with the blood. Mm-hmm. You just finish up the last part of the verse. That's where we're going. Right, having obtained eternal redemption. Okay, now stopping off from there, there's we can go back to the book of Ruth where there's a kinsman redeemer. Mm-hmm. If a man has sold himself into slavery, which in our case is sin, the way of redemption is he can have somebody has to be of kin, they have to have the price that was sold into slavery, and they have to pay the price. Jesus is the heavenly Jesus doesn't save you. He has to come down to earth, he has to be kin to mankind. Okay? He lives the perfect life, which is the price for us to do it. The price, the penalty that we have for not living the perfect life is the fact that we sin and we will die. Jesus has to die taking our place, and that's what gets you that eternal redemption. Even then, though, once you're redeemed, you become that bondservant, like in Philippians. You still owe, I mean, that, that debt is paid for you. But you owe it to the bondsman. Yeah. Verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the internal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Now when we talk about animal sacrifice, what makes that not eternal? The first part is, if you go back to the book of Ruth, a goat is not of kin. Okay, second point to that is all these sacrificed animals were supposed to be brought into the house, made pets, and it was supposed to be a personal sacrifice. A temporary sacrifice. A temporary covering. Right, a temporary covering, but a personal sacrifice. Their sacrifice is to symbolize what you deserved. When Jesus comes and dies, he's dying in your place. There's a difference. You're killing the animal to show what should happen to you. Jesus is dying to take the place of the penalty. These goats are not kin. The only kinsman is Jesus coming down and being born of mankind. No goat was born of mankind. Goats aren't men. Yeah, they, they just don't qualify. Simple point, but there's a... Yeah, Jesus came here and lived as a man, 100% God, 100% man. Goats, all this temple stuff was temporary, a temporary covering. It, uh, it's temporary. done correctly. Yeah, I mean, we, we assume it's done correctly according to everything. Um, and they, they haven't been able to do that for a long time, which is was one point there. What are they going to do for their sin covering now if they don't accept Jesus? But uh, Jesus came down here as a human and died as a human, thus making demon possible. Verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Verse 15, And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. There's a lot of things in that. One, confirming he, Jesus, is the mediator. Mediator. Only one. Of the new covenant. So that's reinforcing the point that there's now a new covenant. There's, there's an old one and there's a new one. Well, there's two, there's two parts to the old covenant. The first part was the broken tablets. The broken tablets, the broken law, because in the ark is the unbroken tablets. Jesus fulfills the unbroken law. Okay? And now becomes a mediator to the people who broke the law, the first set of tablets. 
And by means of death, true, Christ dies. Because yeah, right. the penalty for us was death. Right. Not only that, but a covenant, or a testament, a testimony, or a will, it can only be instituted by death. Mm -hmm. That new covenant doesn't go into effect until his death. Which until is, somebody dies. Which Any testament yeah. doesn't. doesn't Here, we'll talk about later in the next couple of chapters. Right. And for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant. So, confirming the fact that the first covenant had transgressions that needed to be redeemed, and that was done through his death. It's so traced to that. Those who broke the law. Right. Shows how it was imperfect, too. Mm -hmm. And then those who are called, are we called? Yes, I would say so. Mm -hmm. Those who are called may receive the promise of eternal inheritance. as a promise. Another word for this call thing, though, is, is as you go into this, you're going to find that those who are canned. Because back to Adam and Eve, you had a choice. Okay? Adam and Eve called Satan can by believing him. By not believing God, they gave up their kinsmanship to call Satan true. Cain and Abel the same way. Cain chose a different way. Okay? That's, we always talk about faith and not belief. But in this particular case, that believing part is like, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust in? Who are you going to walk with? Well, further on that point is when Christ came and became kin to us, then died and resurrected, that's an entirely new creation. So you being you, yourself, no, not enough. You need to become a new creation like Christ did. You and know, that's how you receive that internal inheritance. You know, that's a good point because that's Aaron's rod. Mm -hmm. That rod is dead. You have to die to those dead, dead works. Right, mm -hmm. and, that, and that's Aaron. Yeah. Aaron's rod is dead. Yeah. It's after that point, after it goes into the Holy of Holies, after it goes into the Ark of the Covenant, that it comes back and is budded into life. Well, and we were saying in verse 14, that's the only way you can serve the living God and, and receive that internal inheritance is through your spirit. The sacrifice is made through the eternal spirit, and the eternal spirit raised him from the dead. That is what lives in you and through you. That is your in, in inheritance, in that, living in that body of Christ. And going back to that Aaron's rod again, notice that that, that rod is dead. Mm -hmm. Okay, and it's got to get placed in that Holy Spirit. It's got to be in his works before it comes back to life. It doesn't just, they don't just set it down there and it comes back to life. It, it's got to be taken into the Holy of Holies, for that to happen. And I don't know if it needs to be said, but I think we're, we have all this talk about the Holy Spirit, and we have all this talk about following God. Nobody's really bringing up the point that the other key part of it is getting to know Jesus, having that relationship with Jesus as well. That's I just that, feel that's like that it needs family to be said part. as well. Right. That's that, that kin part is becoming family. You, you, you don't have a member of your family that you don't get to know. It's not one of those things. Family is getting to know each other. That's why when you go to God, you, you're calling them Father. You're, you're, not, you're not on your hands and knees begging anymore. You're building this family relationship. Verse 16. For there is a testament. Testament meaning covenant, also another, another word. There must also of necessity be the death of the testator. The testator being Christ, the one who creates the testament. So you have the new covenant, the new... The New Testament, that's where we get that word. It's a more of a legal term, like, like a will. I guess the word will is also 
uh, can be interchanged there too. Uh, will doesn't come into effect, is what he's about to talk about. It doesn't come into effect until the testator, the one who makes that testament, they die. Well, you'll ask will and testament. Yeah. The person who creates that has to die before it goes into effect. And which one goes into effect if you make more than one? It's the last one that you created before you died. Mm-hmm. And what did he do at the Last Supper? He created that new covenant. He said, in, in my blood, they took their communion. And but it didn't come into effect until his shedding of blood on the cross. Verse 17, for a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. The reason for that is the testimony could change. Okay, once you're dead, whatever that last testament is, that's your last chance to change the testimony, is your life. Verse 18, therefore not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. The blood of bull and goats, like we talked about in the temple. It wasn't Christ's blood, which is what is ultimately what's going to redeem man, but it's the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, tablets of stone, those all had to be sprinkled with blood. Verse 19, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats, with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. In the Old Testament, there is no covenant without blood. It's funny, because Jesus almost quotes that at the Last Supper. Says so this is the blood of the new covenant, which is my blood, which is poured out for you. Not exactly those words, but some variation of that. But it's almost like he's quoting what Moses said, but saying this is the blood of the new covenant, which is my blood. Just a little point there. Verse 21. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Of sin. Yeah. Or remission meaning forgiveness. So if there is no shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness because death comes through sin. The sin comes through the law. If that, that blood representing life, because life is in, in the blood, that has to be covered. Unholy things have to be covered with that blood. And the last part here is where there, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. The last point that the writer of Hebrews is making, there's no will and testament. Without the shedding of blood, there, there is no will and testament. Verse 23, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. Christ's blood. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. The point being there is Jesus died for our sins, but he went to heaven still perfect. And he died for our sins once and for all. It wasn't a yearly or a daily or a weekly sacrifice that had to be made. It had to be done yearly here because the priest who was offering sacrifices for us here on earth, they had sinned. Exactly. They're having to redo their sacrifice all the time. This sacrifice is perfect because it was done without sin 
it paid for sin, it was done perfectly, therefore it's in eternal. And there is no mediator other than him. It says now to appear in the presence of God for us. He went to the, into the presence of God for us. He is the mediator. There is no other man or anyone who can mediate for you. Because God is not kin to go. Through Jesus, God got kin to man. All these other sacrifices were only temporary, temporary and to show you the way. And then that just employs the copies of the true but to heaven itself. Copies being in physical world, which is more valuable, a copy or the original. Original being originating in heaven by the creator himself. Down here we have copies of that. Yeah, manna. What's more important, manna or Jesus? Right. Aaron's budding rod or us coming to life in heaven? Exactly. The laws which condemned us or those seals being broken, bringing out that eternally new heaven, eternally new earth. Right. Verse 26. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. All sin, past, present, and future. If he had to offer himself for all the sins of the world in all these times from past the future, how many times would Jesus have to die? This is the thing we've talked about. How many how many times did Jesus die and resurrect? We did it once and for all. Because you got to remember, it's once again, like these priests had to do it yearly. Right. This was a perfect sacrifice because this sacrifice has no sin. Okay, it is of kin. It has the entire price to pay the price. And then it pays the price with death. You'd have to do it over and over again trying to add up the circumstances, but because it's perfect, once and for all is all you need. Uh, with the shedding of blood, there's no remission without that blood. Okay? So you're going to keep asking for, for forgiveness. How many times do you want to kill Jesus? Right. It's once and for all. It's eternal. That's a very important point because many people believe Jesus died once and for all, took away their sin, but then they keep asking for forgiveness. They think that they keep going back keep trying to cover up their sin, keep trying to confess, it's done. It's paid for. Okay? There's not one sin, the, excuse me, the only one sin that anybody's going to hell for is the unpardonable sin, which is unbelief. Okay? You're not, gonna, you're not going to hell for the candy bar you stole, that, that, lie, that lie you said, that whatever you do, that sin is already paid for. God doesn't look at that anymore. It's now, do you believe me? Are you going to believe my message? Are you going to believe what Christ did? And at a further point is, are you going to claim me as family? Yeah. Are you going to claim me yourself as your yeah. kinsman, family, yeah. redeemer? Are you going to join this family or not? Yeah, it's just the whole church is so focused on sin, sin, sin. And we talked about this before. I think it's a way of control. You know, you the priest can't doesn't trust the Holy Spirit to lead the congregation, so they have to preach sin, keeping a check of your sin, asking for forgiveness in order for people to stay, keep themselves in check, but it's not what the New Testament teaches. If you're in Christ, okay, you are a new spirit, you are, you are a new being, but all sin is paid for. It's done. It's, now it's, come to me for life. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and ask for forgiveness, and then receive life. He took care of the sin. It's no longer an issue. 
your choice is either you don't believe Christ, you call him a liar, or you believe him and say, yes, you took away all sin in it, now I want that life that you came to offer me. It's all point of being reborn. Yeah. It's death to your life, and the only life you have now is to be in this family of spirit. Yeah. You don't claim Jesus as kin. You're not claiming the family part. You're not claiming the spirit part, which is God. Yeah, because that forgiveness of sins doesn't save you. Mm-hmm. That forgiveness of sins clears the debt. It brings us all back to the same point of, okay, we're all paid for. Now it's, are you going to come in for life? And are you going to turn away? Are you going to repent from your un- unbelief? Mm-hmm. Done to the flesh, not, not no longer relying on your own flesh to get you in heaven. Okay, I'm going to believe Christ. I'm going to stop trying to do it myself. I'm going to die to myself, believe him, and receive his life that he gave freely. The baptism of fire, Holy Spirit being born again. We'll talk about it. Yeah. Anybody can receive it. It's right there. It's, he's ready to hand, hand it to you. You just need to stop trying to trust in yourself and come to him for that life. Like he says, come to me so you might have life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin, for salvation. And I put point on verse 27. If you want one verse out of the Bible that speaks against reincarnation, it would be verse 27. Yeah. Is it is appointed for men to die once, not to die ten times. Okay? You have one life, this one opportunity, the meaning of life, the form, to accept Jesus as your kinsman redeemer, form a relationship with him, which leads to salvation. You got that one shot. If you go, if you, if you believe in reincarnation, you're t- you're calling Paul a liar. You know, there's one verse right here that speaks against it. Men die once. Well, if you're going to live second and third times and stuff like this, you're asking Jesus to die more and more times for you. Mm-hmm. So, he died once for your one lifetime. If you have reincarnation, you have no salvation. Mm-hmm. Okay. A second point is. It said in that verse that it is appointed for men to die once. What about Enoch? What about Elijah? What about Mary? Okay? These are men, or in the case of Mary, a woman, but that's still, we're talking about mankind here. It is said that Mary uh, was assumed into heaven. Then God's word's a lie right here. Well, what about Enoch and Elijah? They come back as the two witnesses in Revelation and die. Mm-hmm. Well, some people say it's Moses. Moses already died. Yeah, he came so back you have, yeah, if you you got you can't get around this verse here. Mm-hmm. Even Enoch and Elijah have to come back and die and, and die. So and, Mary is yeah. special. She went to heaven. That's fine. She just broke the word of God. She has no place in heaven. People want to say, well, it could be Moses and Elijah. It can't be. It can't be. Moses can't die twice. Sorry. Yeah. You can, you can hang on to die once. And if like, we just read Jude, the Jude brings up the story of when Satan is arguing for the body of Moses and Michael rebukes him, says the Lord rebuke you. Moses is dead. He, he's dead. It confirms it there. And we know that. We know about that from the scriptures. But he, that he dies outside the promised land on the mount. Then our, our other paper brings into, well, he actually does... On the Mount of Transfiguration, he makes it in because when he comes down from heaven, 
He is in the, uh, the promised land right there. And he needs the body. Christ hasn't died yet. There's, he doesn't receive a spiritual body yet. Mm-hmm. He saves that body for, for later. The scripture confirms Moses died. See, there, if you do all the scriptures, they tell you the story. Yeah. If you hunt and peck, you just have incomplete portions. That's what Satan does, too, yeah. is he hunts and pecks. Mm-hmm. And then verse 28, so he, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Only once. Mm-hmm. It's not going to ha- happen again. And, you know, if you're still trying to get forgiveness, if you're still trying to ask for forgiveness for, for your sins, you, you've missed it. It's only going to take place once, and it can only happen with a shedding of blood. Mm-hmm. So unless he's shedding his blood every day for you, it, it's done. It's over. Move past that and get towards the life issue. That's what it's about. Yeah. Are you going to receive his life? Or are you going to keep walking in your un, unbelief? See, most people, when they ask for forgiveness, it's like, you know what? I wrecked my boyfriend's car. Oh, please forgive me. That's not the sin you're repenting of. Mm-hmm. The sin you're repenting of is that you're a sinner. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that's it right there. It's like, well, I did this sin. and I, You go to confession, you can off different sins. What about the ones you can't remember? Well, God takes those into effect. What sin will kill you? No, he did on the cross. That's the point. Yeah. You know, you're a sinner. People think that you're a sinner because you sin. It's the other way around. You sin because you're a sinner. And to those who eagerly wait for him, eager, eagerly, you know, reading the word of God makes me eager. I'm eagerly studying it, keeping into it. It's not picking up the word of God, trying to form a relationship, and then, leave it alone for a couple of years. Where's that other part too? To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time. I was, was going to get to that next Apart part. Apart from sin. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay? This, after you're reborn, you're reborn into the Spirit. He, he tells you, you can't get, reach heaven unless you're reborn. In order to be reborn, something's got to die. Your control of the fleshly world, you got to give that up. you got to start worshiping in spirit. It's the spirit that goes and sins no more. This body's going to sin. This body's going to perish. We'll make the clarification that it could appear, verse, last part of verse 20, 28, is talking about Jesus coming back a second time apart from sin for salvation. I don't believe that verse is saying that. What it's saying is those who eagerly wait for him, seeking him out, he appears to them. That's a promise. Mm-hmm. Apart from your sin, because he's paid for it, right? For salvation. And that's what we're talking about. Jesus pays all, paid for all sin, past, present, and future. That's paid for. Now you've got to work on the salvation part. That takes the Holy Spirit. It takes building a relationship for Christ. Here's a promise that you eagerly wait for him. He appears a second time, apart from the sin, because he's paid for it, for your salvation. Put that word in there. If I could add anything, it would be he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for your salvation. I think that apart from sin is confirmed the verse before saying mm-hmm. he was offered once to once. bear the sins of many. He's not coming back to bear sins. Right. He came once the first time, he bore sins. Okay? That's what he did on the cross. He's not doing it again. Mm-hmm. He's coming back for what? Eternal life. Salvation. What is salvation? It's not getting your sins forgiven. Salvation is eternal life. Mm-hmm. He's coming back to set up his kingdom and give eternal life to to his people. Right. Okay? He's not coming back to America. Sins is done. It's over. That part of the Messiah is over with. Yeah, exactly. This time he's coming back as king. He's not coming back as suffering. The eternal kingdom. You're going to live eternally with him in his kingdom? Or you're not. The last point, going back to verse 27, after we read these two, is appointed for men to die once. We made a comment on that. But after this, the judgment. Okay? 
are you are you with him? Have you attained salvation or not? Because if he's paid for your sin, he hasn't received salvation for you. There is that well, judgment he, waiting. The only sin left to judge is your unbelief. Unbelief or belief you, or unbelief? Do you believe him or not? Yeah. It's an unpartable sin. Exactly. Yeah, this is the on-off switch. It's the one belief thing. or unbelief? Right. Uh, belief. But I stole the candy bar? No. It's belief, yes, or belief, no. That's what I want. All, all the other separate sin issues, they're done. I want to clarify that, that you die once, going against any ideas of reincarnation. Are you a believer or not? Because if not, judgment. Yes. That's, that's what I see him saying. If you die in unbelief, right. you're going to go through that second death. And then comma, the next verse goes into those who eagerly seek him. Mm -hmm. You will appear a second time apart from sin for... And I want to add in your apart from, apart from sin. Right. Those who didn't seek him know you have your sin. Okay. And that's, that's, that's a whole different story. That's, see, there's two judgments. There's judgments for the good things you've done. After, you can't do anything good until you're already in the spirit. Mm -hmm. It's spirit's things that are good. So if you're not in that spirit and you, for those, that judgment of the good things you've done, then you're in the judgment of the law, which says, did you ever make a mistake? Condemned. Right. Did you either fix that problem or you didn't? It's not even the law. It's unbelief. It's going back to, to go to the garden. No, I'm saying if there is unbelief, yeah. then you then you're subject to the law. Mm -hmm. Well, you are. But the main question is, yeah, the main question before you, you you get to that is, do I know you? Basically asking, are you family? Yeah. And the only way you can be family, do I know you, is, did you believe me? Mm -hmm. Did you receive receive my word? And, and if you did, and you received me, yeah. then you are the one who is eagerly seeking me. Exactly. And everything builds up. Mm -hmm. People who aren't saved aren't eagerly waiting. They're actually dreading it. There's people who believe he's coming back who are fearing it. Mm -hmm. For good reason. Yeah, and if there's any fear in you, you better learn the truth and, and get it together because, you know, fearing isn't going to get you anywhere. You need to believe him and become family. See, because these people go, well, I'm good enough. They know in their hearts they're not. That's where the fear comes from. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm almost good. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you're almost not going to go to hell. Yeah. It's on up. It's one way or the other. Just like Jesus says to the guy, you're not far from the kingdom of heaven. I don't want to be not far. I want to be in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. So. Yeah. You're only one decision away. Yeah. I don't want to be close. I want to be there. Yeah. And that closes up our discussion on Chapter 9 of Hebrews. Join us next time for Chapter 10.